Hello, it's Yotam here. Thank you for continuing to listen to Simple Pleasures. And for anyone new here, I hope you enjoy the series. I wanted to let you know that I have a new cookbook out this September, co-written with Easter Belfridge, who works with me in my test kitchen. It's called Ottolenghi Flavor and is available to order now. Flavor is a vegetable-centered cookbook which focuses on all the different ways in which you can dial up flavor and create fireworks in your cooking, true to the Ottolenghi spirit. Hello and welcome to Simple Pleasures with me, Yotam Ottolenghi. This is a series in which I invite you and a special guest to my home to discuss the simple pleasures in life. From food, mainly food actually, to travel, to art, to food again. We discuss all of this over dishes from my new cookbook, Ottolenghi Simple. To me, simple means ease. It means less anxiety and less stress, doing things that are comfortable and familiar and not always massively challenging. I want to take the guilt out of the equation and inject an extra dose of joy. On this week's Simple Pleasures, I've invited an old friend, Nigella Lawson. I first met Nigella about six years ago, and we've enjoyed many meals together over the years. Today, I decided to cook for her slow-cooked chicken with sweet corn crust, cucumber and lamb's lettuce salad, and Nutella and hazelnut rolls. So let's enjoy Simple Pleasures with Nigella Lawson. For this podcast, mm-hmm. I have gone over all of your books that I've got. And in your latest book, At My Table, there is a chicken that's baked in the oven with lots of peas. And it's the simplest. There's a frozen peas. Yes. And I just love the idea that you could take a chicken and peas and put them in the oven and get something so beautiful. And I actually watched, I saw it on an airplane on one of your shows. So I, <laughs> so I, thought, so I thought, I make something with chicken. But this is my idea of simple, which is yes. probably not your idea of simple, but it's, uh, it's a slow-cooked chicken thighs mm-hmm. that are cooked with chilies, with a bit of harissa, with a tiny bit of chocolate, so something Mexican, and then it gets a corn crust. Oh, but it is fantastic. Simple. Yeah. So when you say slow-cooked, what have you got it at? 150? No, actually, it's on the stovetop. Oh, stovetop. Yeah, it's oh, the, I started God, on the it's stovetop. It's the most wonderful mush. Yeah, it's the most wonderful mush. It's a pie. So that it all goes wonderful. in here. So actually, it's a very beautiful mush because... It's got that wonderful sort of glowing terracotta I'm gl- sauce. I'm glad you're doing the running commentary on it <laughs> because there's no images. So, I really want to uh, put it. Can I put a spoon in Yeah, now? put a spoon in. Mm. I love that note of sourness in it as well, which will be great with a corn From crust. the tomatoes. Yes, what else is it, though? It's got, it's got roasted peppers. Of depth. That's that. The roasted peppers give that lovely silkiness, yeah. too. Tiny bit of chocolate, but really just a yes, tiny bit, yes. because it gives that yeah, depth. Yeah. Yes, I have a chocolate chip chilli that I do. Exactly. It always feels rather wonderful, putting the, even it's a minute amount of chocolate, but, it but it's good. It makes a difference. And coriander, obviously. So it's yes. kind of it's Mexico it's... meets North Africa. I thought you were uh, going to say Mexico meets North London. <laughs> that too. <laughs> we are in North London after all. I mean, um, it tastes fantastic. So I'm just going to whip a little bit of egg whites here for the okay, crust. Okay, well then we'll have to Would shout. You push, push the button for me. This is not strictly okay. necessary. So this is that little corn that you've crushed. This is the easiest thing in the world. So you take a bit of corn, either frozen or you, yeah. know, you cut it off a husk. You just frozen root. Yeah. In this, <laughs> but in this country, by the time you get a corn cob, 
it's been standing and it's starchy. It's not like being in Maine where you no. just get it out. You know, I look feel. at the sell-by date in the in the green. Sometimes they write it down, oh, and okay. I go like, two, okay, no, I, I can still do it." it and but it isn't the same. So it's frozen. It's so you've just crushed it. Have you put it in a processor? Or in the processor like with a yes. bit of butter. And egg have yolks. you got the yolks in there? And now you're just folding exactly. in the beaten whites. I've got egg yolks. I've mm, got sweet corn meringue. Exactly. So how did you come up with this? Esme, who works in my test kitchen, mm. we said we wanted to do something like a chicken casserole, but it just looked too simple, so we added yeah. that corn crust. Because I, what I do when I make something like this is I do a cornbread topping, but this is a more exciting and a slightly more modern fresh vegetable cake, <laughs> even if it's frozen. I'm so glad you're here. But just talking about simplicity, I just mm. the, the, the irony is I wanted to cook something special, but I also wanted to cook chicken, and I can, came up with something which is so much more complicated than your uh, chicken <laughs> with, with, with peas. But hey, that's, that's But you know, the thing is, people, as a general rule, and I feel I'm always going on about this, confuse two things. They confuse time-consuming with difficult. So obviously, this needs a certain amount of time, and you attend to it, and you put things in. But if no actual element of it is complicated, it counts as simple, exactly. but you need a, it's whether you've got the time and whether you feel like doing something like that. That is completely true. And I, I also think that it's not about easy, it's about ease. It could have mm. four steps rather than two. Mm. But if you come to it and say, OK, actually, this is really something I can knock together myself without too, mu too much complication, yes. that's it. That's what it is. And also, it really is. depends as well, because sometimes I like to put that in the oven. I often will do something that maybe has more steps if I know I can do a lot of it in advance. With you, what would be the ideal, easy, entertaining scenario? Well, I find it very easy. I, I shouldn't say this as someone who does what I do, but I can get in a rut where I can carry on doing the same things. So, for example, I often make a, something like a curry that I can cook ahead of time. Don't you find sometimes... It's almost easier to cook for a dinner party than to cook for the family. For a dinner party, you sit down and think, and then I find that I don't work on autopilot. I kind of sit down, yes, look at recipes, yes. ideas, collect them. It all makes complete sense. Yeah. I come home from work and I look at the cupboard and I, people won't believe it, but I'm lost for ideas. I go, no, what I, am I going to go make my pasta I, with smoked so oysters again? It's so easy to repeat things, and it's what makes it easier to do that is children. like To say they like the same stories being read over and over again, they're quite happy to have the same pasta dishes over and over again. So... The power of you repetition. Can get, it's like you can get quite lazy. <laughs> yes, you can get quite lazy. But I remember thinking that we all get so... We're slightly amused in a not terribly kind way about that old-fashioned habit of people when they used to have a menu plan. You know, I could go to my paternal grandmother's flat and I would could tell by the food on the table what day of the week it was because everything had its day. That and is incredible. actually, they ate in a much more varied way than I do because I can't honestly say that I would cook seven different things a week. A week, yeah. I, I mean, I do often because I'm working, I eat lunch too. But if I just think of the children's team and when they were younger, that I don't know that I did have such a, you know, that things were so varied. But talking about the children, do mm. you find that you kind of put yourself under pressure to feed them in a way that you wouldn't even consider feeding yourself? Like that you have to put on something that would shape their palettes. I mean, all these kind of well, ideal God, obviously, I obviously wasn't such a good parent, no. <laughs> I, I cooked things I thought they liked and things that I liked. And also, they had to grow up eating everything that I was recipe testing for books. I remember once my son saying to me when he was quite little, don't worry, Mum, I know it looks disgusting, but it tastes really good. <laughs> <laughs> obviously not a food no, stylist. <laughs> it was, but it was good because it was actually a 
a sort of summer green minestrone, which obviously, as you cook things for a long time, they do. It does yeah. go into a khaki mush. I mean, I always had a rule which they had to taste everything. I wasn't going to force them to eat everything as I had been, and it was a horrible experience. Yes, you had you had food put in front of you, and you had, if you hadn't had it, you would you have would to eat it the next cold day. At the next meal, yes. We do that with our lunches the next day. So I, I find that with our kids, that often they come back from school, they're just like overexcited yeah. and they don't want to eat and they what they didn't have we're not as bad as mm. you've, you've had it but yeah but we're talking but, about food <laughs> a long time ago you know like cold stew yeah so they would get the pasta that they wouldn't eat yes. the night before they're happy to eat for the no, backlash the following but that's it but that's okay too and i think you have to i mean i quite like using up things i'm you know that that's the hardest thing to convey in a book is how so many of my ideas come about because of you know, opening the fridge or the vegetable drawer and seeing what's there. Yeah, I've got a recipe here uh, called Fridgerade Dressing, yeah. which Tara that works with me came home and threw in avocado and ginger and a bit of tahini and a bit of lemon and lime and uh, garlic. And it just came out as the most wonderful... And sometimes it takes you so dressing. long to reverse engineer it to remember exactly what, what you, you did. In. Yeah, that is. <laughs> because uh, you are, that's it, the thing, you're liberated, you're not weighing, you're not measuring, you're hardly looking at but what you're But don't you have this... I have this problem that I kind of feel like I'm a recipe tester even if I cook at home and I go like... What did I do there? No, no, I, might I need do, that. but I'm. But actually, my own personality is so bad at authority, even my own, that I sort of feel like I, I don't want to weigh and measure when I cook normally. Yeah. But then I have to go back, and so I've got better at it, and so I do sort of pay attention to, to how much I'm putting in and what I'm doing. But sometimes you have to go a bit rogue first and then work backwards. I think. When I lived in Italy, I was very poor, and I could all I could afford was a kilo, I lived there with a school friend of mine, a kilo of tomatoes, and we had olive oil, so and occasionally no a bottle of wine, and we used to sit, because I was a chambermaid, you know, in, in yeah. France, so I used to sit in this teeny little balcony outside the room with sliced tomatoes with mustard and looking at everyone going about the place. So nice. I feel that I'm just starting to find out the notion of simplicity, of simple eating and living, and you've just, you've mastered <laughs> it when you were, how, when, how old were you when you 19. were in Italy? Nineteen. But you never went really complicated with your food ever. But I don't. I never have because I don't. I don't have any training. So but you, it, you say that, but I don't think it's about training. It it's about bit, aspiration. No, it is because I think it's it's about the fact that if you've worked even for a short time in a professional kitchen, you have to get an awful lot done, and you know you can do it. You may not enjoy it, but you can do it. Whereas. It actually brings out a lot of lack of confidence in me if something is quite complicated and I worry I won't be able to do it. And that so takes over and um, makes everything daunting that automatically I don't believe I could do it if it was complicated. And I feel in a way, although I'm slightly ashamed to admit it because if you do what I do, you're not meant to be frightened of anything, but it helps me when I write recipes because I really understand it when people feel it's too much and they feel daunted before they start. So in a way... It means a lot to me to be able to convey how simple a particular mm -hmm. recipe is. And I know that people can do those easily. You've written somewhere that cooking something many times gives you the confidence to just mm. walk into the kitchen, cook mm. that, and there's mm. no sense of, oh, will I get it right mm. or will I get it wrong? It's just yes. something that I do yes. and I know. And I think this actually, a lot of professional chefs won't admit to it, but I think this is also true about professional chefs. This is why... I never order the dish of the day in a restaurant because I know that it's, they've probably only tried it the first time yes, today. Yes, And they haven't... Oh, they haven't. Yes. Uh, and, and I know that even in my restaurants, I don't cook in my restaurants, but, mm. but the chefs in my restaurants, I know that 
something that's on the menu now it would be so much better next week when they've yes. cooked it a few times and they've done it so there is this idea that chefs know something but i think home cooks work in, in a very similar way it's that it's that repetition yes, that makes I, it perfect but but in a way the great freedom of repetition is that and it's easier to do in a home than a restaurant because people expect want consistency in a restaurant so there is so many ways of cooking that we repeat over and over again but it means you you can't stop yourself in a way out of interest changing a vegetable in it or changing a herb or a spice and so because of that in a way that's why i feel to people that actually yes do repeat recipes i when people ask me you know when i do a event of any sort you know about how i'm not confident in the kitchen how do i get better i always say just choose a recipe and just cook it repeatedly. Yeah. So cook it enough time so that you actually don't need to look at the recipe and that without meaning to, you can't help but change some of the ingredients as you go along. Right. And people like you and me sometimes, we want to inspire and mostly we, we want to share our enthusiasms. But I'm also aware that by publishing so many recipes, you can sometimes lead people away from the fact that the easiest way to learn is actually through repetition and not oh, I've done that one recipe, move on to the next. Yes, I find that you really need to immerse yourself in, in a dish or a cuisine or get to understand a set yeah. of spices or a technique yeah. before you move on to the next yes. thing because it really induces anxiety. And I think a lot of the cooking has become very anxiety-ridden because mm. people who have just cooked one time meal go mm. on to Burmese food you know, the next day I and they know. go like, have, have you really enjoyed what you were doing and have you really it's got something to it into your and cooking? And I also feel that you just... I think I wrote about this in How to Eat, but confidence is very important. But there's a less glamorous word, which is competence. And you do need to get competent before you can get confident. And that yeah. often means, I always say to people, cook for yourself. The idea that someone who doesn't ever cook suddenly says to 10 people, come for supper, it's terrifying. Terrifying. You know, so I think you do need to cook for yourself because I often find that. When I cook for myself, you know, I, I'm not worried about things going wrong because it doesn't really matter. It's only my supper that's ruined. And therefore, I relax a bit. I enjoy the process more. I can see what's happening. And I think you taste and you see what you want to be doing. And, that, and in a way, you need to have done that before you cook for other people. Because, look, I don't believe you should ever cook to impress people. But any human being wants, wants to please. And so that you are frightened more of something going wrong. And, it, and so I, you need to know it won't, or you need to know how this works. I see it also as part of the tendency that we have, or people in general tend to have these days, and the, the idea that you really need to be so good at everything and move on to the next mm. thing. And that idea that you're going to impress someone or you're going to impress your guest mm. takes the joy out of, really of daily cooking. And they, there is people always talk about anxiety, and I think... Why associate food with anxiety when it actually should be the other way around? Yes. And what you're saying about repeat repetition, those are the best meals, the meals that you put on the table immediately, and then you can just join and, and, yes, and, and join the party so. and have fun with And I think, you know, I think also, I, mean, I, I do things a lot that can be in an oven yeah. because then it's there and I don't have to keep worrying about whether it's boiling over I hope or my, something. I hope my mind's not burning. No, but if it's an oven, I think it's OK. But, you know, if it's on the stove, I always feel when it's on the flame, it either goes too low or too high. It's so hard to make sure you're always having to attend to it. 
But then there are certain things that then are, are wonderful to do like that when you're pottering about, when you've got everyone at home at the weekend, and then you can talk to people and potter as well. Yeah, no, I so love I that. Like that. I love cooking in a group. Yes. Like when you've got a few people... In the, well, yeah. actually, I, I love sometimes, and I hate it the other times. No, time, I don't so like people coming and cooking with me, exactly. I don't like it when they keep saying, you know, where's the vegetable peeler and where's that? You know, it drives me mad. <laughs> but I quite like... You know, if I've got the kids there, that I like it, that I can talk to them as I'm cooking. And then sometimes if I've got, you know, a time alone, I quite like it, especially on time alone when I spend my whole weekend reading, but then I, maybe I've got people coming for supper in the evening, I'll get up, you know, and I don't bother to get dressed or anything, I'm in, you know, in a dressing gown and I'm stirring something, I'm doing that early for that, and I, I love that. So in the right mood, it's a bit like, I'm not a painter at all, but it's like building up a canvas, isn't it? Yeah. And it's rather lovely doing those various steps and then you have a little lie down and read with a cup of tea again and then you go back and then it's... I enjoy it all quite a lot. So it sounds magical, but isn't it also a little bit about, like, we talk about... I, I think I've really recently understood how people have come to distrust their instincts about food mm. and isn't that also part of the reason why people don't trust their in instincts a part of a bunch of people telling them what they should eat, well, eat I, or shouldn't eat oh, but that is very not, difficult and, but also the fact that they don't cook in, in, the in an everyday kind I of think way they have to cook in a way that seems boring to people you know the daily cooking when you don't necessarily often i just feel oh, exhausted i can't do that but the minute i start cooking i feel better so take so, the kind of the, take the glamour out a little yes. bit and inject the kind of the daily yes. routine, and then you're gonna you're gonna find yourself having having the instincts that we're all yearning to have about yes, food. Yes, because you do need to, to be able to, you do need to have done things a few times to have an instinct. You need need to know how things behave and what happens. And I think also to realise that it's not so terrible if things go wrong. You can nearly always remedy something Absolutely. apart from oversalting. I think. Yeah, apart from oversalting or burning a cake. Well, you can't burn a cake unless you've got a faulty oven. Yeah. It's my feeling. <laughs> really? I mean, there's something... I'm sure a lot of people would... No, I mean, what you can is overbake a cake and then I mean, turn it into a trifle. No, you can overbake a cake and you can even remedy that, you know, put a bit of fruit and cream and it's going to be okay. But you only broken ovens actually turn a cake black unless you actually forget about it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think some of the things that we associate with cooking are not what... People tell us, you know, they think, you know, there's a recipe and you follow it and that's mm. about it. But I always find that w the joy is the whole ceremony around it. So I love going shopping and finding things that I haven't cooked before and playing with mm. them. But even just walking into a, you know, a food shop, I've got a great green grocer, you know, just around the corner from where we are. Where do you shop and do you get well, the same pleasure of shopping? I do, but I always feel, and I felt this particularly when I was, you know, very busy working and my children were small, is that the shopping can be harder than the cooking because unless you get your shopping organized you can't actually cook and cooking is relatively straightforward and simple once you do it so I shop in a variety of ways I you know I have a fishmonger Rex the Chelsea fishmonger who is wonderful I don't know if you've got fish from him but he's extraordinary and you know butchers I go to but mostly from the phone I have to say but I shop online I'm, I'm almost embarrassing parody of a middle-class Ocado <laughs> shopper. Um, when my children were younger, they apparently, they used to do like little catchphrases that parents would do. And I said to my daughter once, well, what did, what was mine? And it, mine was, would you like anything from Ocado, darling? <laughs> <laughs> Is that not embarrassing? <laughs> so, oh. but I do, so I go to, you know, I will... You know, often go to Green Valley, say, whichever yeah. you go to in 
off it, Edgware Road for you go to go for the rice and lentils, don't you? I go for the rice and lentils, but I also but I go also, for the Middle Eastern yes, ingredients. So you I know, do. I go for Middle get, Eastern ingredients and spices and um, dried broad beans is just know, something you can't get anywhere else, you know. Uh, and also, the, I love dried mint, and their dried mint is so much better yes. than the dried mint you get from a normal supermarket packet. It's a, it's a kind and of a kind of a spearmint. It's, it's much deeper. Yeah, you know, it's like fennel seed, which I go through an awful lot, and nigella seeds I get from there, <laughs> and so I do that. But I. I'm afraid to say that I am a compulsive food shopper. Yeah. And so I do online and I also go to shops and I do like, as I say, my telephone relationships as well <laughs> when I can have a chat. I, I liked it most when I could amble over to, you know, Rex the Fishmonger and the Greengrocer and have, you know, chat in that way. So I do think it's quite good. And occasionally I will stop off at various shops and I go to the farmer's market in Marylebone on Sundays. And, but I don't have a car at the moment and that does limit you a bit. I want to talk about food panics because you mentioned a few times that you you first because you know, everybody associates you with baking, but you came to baking a bit later. Yes, really. And much. you would kind of panic over pastry, and now you are kind of the queen of pastry. So yeah. how do you move on from something which you really fear to something which you master? I'm sure a lot well, of people actually, would like to know what the trick is. Do you know what, do you know what? I once wanted to do a book based on the, who is it, Susan Jeffries' book, you know, there's a book called Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway, and I wanted yep. to have a book called Feel the Fear and Cook It Anyway. <laughs> um, but I think, and this is, I don't want to get too uh, woo-woo, but I think in life, and this isn't just about cooking, we limit ourselves such a lot because whether it's to do with the, the family you come from or how you think of yourself in relation to other people, that you think, I'm not the sort of person who can do that. And I think that quite a lot about many things. I'm actually quite a coward. Um, and not always, but in some respects. But and with baking, really, I was always terrified, and I, it was it was almost as if there were certain things anyway in cooking as well. If I read certain things in a book, I would have to turn the pages over very fast. Like when people said a pestle and mortar, like oh no, not a pestle and mortar. <laughs> but and the same thing was baking. And then I just tried it once, and I actually thought, actually, this is not so hard. And I found it so liberating to feel I could do something that I just didn't think I was that kind of a person. And I think, I, you know, because I really had grown up thinking there were cooks and bakers, and I was a cook and not a baker. And I certainly don't do complicated uh, patisserie. I wouldn't be able to do that. I'm, I'm not very patient and I'm slightly clumsy. But you learn how to accommodate what you can't do and you play to your strengths. And so I think that helps. So I can make pastry because I make it in a way that is easy for me. So you don't, like, for instance, a lot of people are just terrified of the rolling pin because once they start rolling, if they don't do it quickly enough, it starts to get softer and well, melt. Yes, but then, you see, I also, I've learned from a lot of other people, and there's a woman, I don't know if you've ever read her, uh, Shelley O'Coraher. No. Have you read it? And I can't remember what her book was called, Cookwise, I think. Um, and she's a bit like Harold McGee. She's a scientist. So she writes, and she, I learned how to make pastry from her, which is you put the flour in a container and you cut your butter and shortening into the into little cubes and put it in the flour and put it in the deep freeze just like it is for 10 minutes then when you make the pastry and it's easier that way then to use a processor or because it's slightly frozen it creates a very elastic dough and really it's very forgiving so if it breaks when you it doesn't it tends not to break when you roll it out and it just it, it really makes it so much simpler so once you learn a trick like that which i can't take any credit for i just learned it which is very happy to pass it on um so then it doesn't matter so much and most things 
yes, I, I mean, there are certain pastries that are hard, those sweet ones, which are mostly butter. Yeah. But though generally you can patch them up yeah, by well, sticking that, the things patching in. Up, which patching is, up which is quite easy. Which we all do. And I think people, yes. go, people come to here and they see, you know, and I patch up a pastry. So that's absolutely fine because it's, it's just something you can do. And, I, and again, But it's not going to look like it comes from a patisserie. And that's fine too. So I think it's what expectations people yeah. have as well. It's all about expectations, yeah. isn't it? It's how much you kind of... Because the higher the expectations, the greater the risk that you're going to fail. And failing just feeds to this uh, this anxiety, and then well, it you does. just won't touch and I it think again. we feel so sort of less than and self hating then, and I think you have to avoid cooking things that make you feel like that. Yeah, that looks fantastic. That's oh, my chicken. I want to get my camera out. With a, you can, can bring can the I, camera out. Yes, please. I'll be honoured. It needs to rest for ten minutes anyway, so I can set the table. Well, let's move into the dining table. That looks so wonderfully sunny. It does look sunny, doesn't it? It's very, it's one of those things. I mean, I think with corn and eggs, you get those mm. beautiful, you know, yellowy. So beautiful. But I love it. So I get, like with the shepherd's pie, when the juices start bubbling up around the it's side. Beautiful. It's beautiful. Or so crumble. Wonderful. Or, yes, I know. So beautiful. So this is, I mean, I know you said that this would work with rice or pasta, but I just do, no, do, I do love this crust. Also, it makes something very simple and cosy feel very celebratory, which is... Perfect. But isn't this... I, I can't uh, wait to cook this. I haven't even eaten it yet. Obviously, you know, you obviously the, I may change my mind in a minute. <laughs> the, uh, I think the, 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 the beauty of a pie is that you've got that kind of promise yes. underneath the crust and you just see it bubbling from the sides. And I'm just blowing on it because um, it is fantastic. I haven't even taken my apron off. I actually very rarely wear an apron to cook, but I often wear an apron to eat because I'm quite a messy eater. <laughs> And I can't take it off now. No, no, you can't. It's just stuck. Mm. It is so fantastic. Thank you. And what I would like as well is there's something rather intense spicing with the chicken, but there's something almost um, I don't know, sort of a sort of a nursery sweetness to the topping. It's a rather good balance. I always find with corn. It's easy to get wrong in the sense that it really does. If you're going to cook savory food with a lot of corn, like I, sometimes I do a fresh corn polenta, mm. you really need to add some serious savoriness to you it, do. like something like thyme or feta or some things that really signal that it's not a pudding because it often just turns. And that line is really fine. So I think all the chili here, although there's yeah. a bit of chocolate for depth, but all that chili. Teeny bit. Yes, uh, really, really, really. Yes, you've got a bit of fire and depth. Of course, you see, I like uh, fiddling, so I'm already thinking, oh, well, actually, it'd be quite, you could put a bit of feta in with the corn uh, anyway, couldn't you? Absolutely, you could put feta. That crust could almost turn like a, turn into a dessert. I'm just being, you know, yes. turn it, put it in, over a pudding. No, it would be very good. It'd be lovely over blackberries. Yeah, because, you know, using corn in desserts, is they do it a lot in Asia. Yes. I always find it a bit weird, but, uh, but no, I but think... No, it would be wonderful. Yeah. No, I agree. I'll try that. And you add feta, and then we'll see what comes yes. out of that. No, I want to do the blackberry one. I want to do blackberries with that purple of the blackberries mm. and that yellowness. See, that's the thing, I think, that one of the joys of being greedy is that you're all, you can't stop always thinking about how you want to cook and what you want to try. And I suppose this is when you go back to simple pleasures, which is that if you've done something that works, then it opens the door to so many other different things you can cook. Yeah, I mean, that's. I think that is also almost the answer to the... Uh, to the question of anxiety or panic. Yeah. I mean, the stakes are so great. I mean, once you've mastered something, to taking it to the next level and yes. be able to 
say, well, actually, I can fill that crust. Almost, it's almost like that sounds like a metaphor, but yeah. I can fill this crust with anything I want to. Mm. And I think that anxiety about pastry or anxiety about anything is... We've actually, I've been thinking about it, we did ceramics together. Yes, we did. And, and I always think, like, I've never thought I'd be able to, to do that because it just feels so magical and impossible. Well, you were work. very good. I, was, I don't think I was very good. because really I, really, I wasn't very good. But, but, but I think that idea that you take something which is very crafty, yes. once you've mastered the craft, then you can just roll with it. I think so. But I do also think that for those of us without any training or sense of technique, once you've got a technique for making something where it's very easy to think in terms of flavour and ingredient, that's much easier in a way because you're not having to work out anything, a structure. It goes back to the question of how... See, I'm very good at eating and talking at the same time, but you're this not. This is the is art that I'm really trying to learn. No. The way of doing well, this... I don't mind the embarrassment of having a full mouth when I talk. I'm very good at that. I love this that, so too. much. I love this salad as well. But that's what I think about you in food. I think of you as being unafraid to have another whole collection of bold flavours alongside anything, something which is already quite deeply spiced. I like to eat in stages. When I came, I think I even mentioned when I came over to dinner at mm. your house the other day that I like to eat one thing, finish it, and move on to yeah. the next thing. That the idea of a nightmare is a Christmas dinner yes. plate, you know, with a lot of, the, lots of things together. And I can't really concentrate. What does that taste of? What does this see, taste of? See, I like creating different mouthfuls with, you know, different permutations as I go. Not always. Sometimes one needs sameness. My dad always used to say, he's Italian, and he always used to ha eat things in a sequence. So, you know, he would put his pasta and would have that, then he would have his salad. And I, I always feel a bit like that because I, I don't know if it's respect to what I'm eating, but it's just that idea that I really want to get that. But no, I agree with that. So I don't, I don't want everything at once, yeah. necessarily. But, but there are different ways, I suppose. It just depends, because if you're having, like, a roast, yeah. then you do need everything at once. But that's made to be eaten. To, I mean, those yes, things are made to are be made next to, to each other. Yes. And, and when I look at my recipes in my books and people ask, oh, how do I match this with that? Mm. And I always say, maybe not. Maybe yes. just make a plain green salad or I'm serve always, it with yes, rice. exactly. I'm always saying plain rice. Because it's, it's packed with flavour. It's kind of, it stands on its own. So all you need is something to either bulk it up or refresh. Or, but, it but I mean, you see, even though at home I wouldn't put this salad with here, because I would think it was the flavours are too strong, yeah. actually is wonderful together. I'll give you some more? No, don't give me any more, because I, I know there's some pudding coming up. Okay. I could have more, but I eat, <laughs> I eat so fast. Chicken thighs, just, I mean, I if there's ever a reason to have anything other than chicken thighs, I don't know. Oh, that's a question I wanted to ask you. So, I think this, um, in how to eat, there's the, you know, the roasted chicken you talk about. Mm -hmm. uh, there's, you know, I love that quote. I've written it down to myself. Where was it? You could probably get through life without knowing how to roast a chicken, but the question is, would you want to? And <laughs> I just love that. I mean, it's all, everything in your writing is a bit like that, that kind of something that is written simply but conveys quite a lot. And this is about how worthwhile chicken is mm. and how basic it is and how it's almost like reading and writing cooking a chicken isn't yes it, it it's is a, it's a basic it, unit of home in terms <laughs> of that, that you know chicken although i do like chicken thighs an awful lot and i've always you know it, it's something i feel very strongly i get quite evangelical when i'm in america because their obsession with using chicken breast, breast is we just atrocious. feel like really the chicken is twice so as expensive anyway. you know 
hasn't got the taste too lean. But do you still feel like that about chicken? That it's just such yes. a, that's where you go for comfort, for simplicity, for domesticity. Yes. And, you know, if, you know, I've got the children coming over, I might without meaning to automatically I'm putting a chicken in the oven or putting it in a pot, you know, in cooking yeah. it. Always, always, always. Because Carl does a lot of roast chicken and he does a beautiful roast chicken. I think it's probably similar to the way you do it mm. with the butter under the mm. skin and a couple but of But I change herbs. it now. So I often use olive oil and I don't use it. You know, I, I like putting it herbs, lemon. Yeah. And, and when, when I come home and there is a roast chicken like that and... I just think to myself, you know, this kind of the world is all right. You know, the no, chicken is in the so. oven. And, but and also plans it. for other things. So I've got a chicken in my fridge ready to roast. And I've also got some extra chicken wings to make the stock, the stock. I make afterwards. We, you know, we'll probably, it probably won't be very much left of the chicken. So then I'll put the carcass and the extra chicken wings. I might actually eat them with as well. Or I'll put them in more into the, thing, into the slow cooker with some onions and, you know, a carrot some lemon and various other things, water on, and I'll just go to bed with chicken when I wake up to chicken stock. Oh, heaven. A beautiful scent. <laughs> a beautiful scent will greet me in the morning. Oh, <laughs> that is fantastic. So you actually leave it overnight? Yes. If I haven't got the wherewithal to make chicken soup, then I don't know I feel I failed in life. So I have to go into <laughs> the freezer when I've made, when I've made the stock, then I've got it. Then and you I go, have it's got ready. It it's ready for an emergency. <laughs> <laughs> the freezer for me, I know you've written somewhere that it's where good food goes to die. Mm. But for me, the cooking for the freezer, I find really a wonderful thing to do because I always have this worry when I cook for the children that they won't want to eat it. So if it goes into yeah. the freezer, I know that it will keep even if they don't feel like it that No, day. I think that's true. I like doing that. And when they were babies, you know, I wrote a chapter on feeding toddlers that I always felt that you had to make all their purees, that you had to separate the labour of making them with the actual event of feeding them because then if they didn't like it, the emotional oh, rejection was just too much. It is terrible. Um, so if you just stash them... But I, on the whole, although I do have things I've cooked in, in the freezer, you know, a pasta sauce or two and um, any leftovers from what I've cooked... I think I tend to use it as a shop quite a bit. So I, you know, a loaf of bread and various yeah. things like that. I think I prefer it as a shop. <laughs> That's a good metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> I, look, I, I treat the freezer as a place that, you know, for things that I feel are, would turn into something a little bit different. So, so yes. tomato sauces just can turn into anything the next day. It could be a pasta sauce. You can cook something like that, like a yes. stew in it. So those basic things that sit there, they're very useful. They are, but I don't know this is a really bad thing about my character. But, but the thing is, and if every time I open... Thing? Another bad thing. <laughs> if every time I open, you know, the freezer, because I've, I've only got two drawers, I don't have a huge arrangement, I see the same things, they sort of lose their allure. So I feel that, in a way, I, what I'm trying to be strict about, and this is my new resolution, is a quicker turnaround for everything I have in there. Because sometimes... So you have to have a... You could do it in a restaurant where you put, like, the expiration date on things that you made yourself. I'll, I do I'll keep no, it as long if, as... No, it. if I've made a sauce and I put it in, I will put the date yeah. and I've made it. Sometimes, but occasionally I don't even say what it is and I have to guess. <laughs> I tell you what I do really like for the which which is really great for the deep freeze and is that when I make cookies which is not that often because I feel that I never want a whole batch of them that I freeze some of them unbaked but formed and then you can just put them in the oven frozen so that suddenly you are this provider of warm chocolate cookies it's without any 
forethought. So that really is a great thing. But now I've got some chocolate cookies in the bottom of my freezer, which I feel have not been well treated <laughs> in life. And I'm not quite sure. I feel I have to rescue them. So this is a really good segue to the dessert <laughs> section, because these, I'm going to give you some uh, Nutella rolls. Lovely. Um, which are, have been in the freezer. They've got a bit of yeast in them as well, so you shouldn't really be freezing mostly things, you know, things that are unbaked with yeast. But I think that they would work, so I'm going to bring you them up. You can do. You can, but not for too long. Or two you know, days is yeah, not bad. Two, two days is okay. I don't so. know. I think, I, I feel that things are generally quite hardy. Like they Just reactivate. In life. Yes. Yes, I think so too. Yes. So I'll bring those over. <laughs> So it's so uh, it's almost like what's it called? Are those rugula? pastry? Yes, almost like rugula. It's almost like rugula. Sour cream pastry. No, it's a it's a it's a yeasted dough. So that's yeah. different, like that. Oh, mm. there is a version mm. of rugula that's yeasted. But Very sweet. It's the simplest. Oh. Sorry. No, wonderful. I'm getting a sugar rush. <laughs> it's an olive oil based pastry. Mm-hmm. And the beauty is, is you just spread it with Nutella and some hazelnuts and uh, the hazelnuts uh, and, and sesame. You roll it, you cut it, and you stick it in the oven. Mm. So it's yeah, in, it's in that respect, it's simple. It is simple. Mm. It's wonderful. Thank you. You travel a lot, right? So I think we, we both travel a lot, you know, especially on book tours and all sorts of other businesses. What, do you do anything that is not food that kind of nurtures you and keeps you happy while you're traveling? Well, I've only recently started traveling. I didn't when the children were younger, and I do now. I tend to travel for work only, and there's never any time to do anything else. So that's not great. I read a lot. I'm a compulsive reader. I have a Kindle app on my iPad, so that I've always got you know a whole library on me. That makes me feel any book a lot that you've read just now that is. I read a mixture. I read a lot of novels, and I've um, at the moment I'm doing a re- bit of a rereading sesh. I'm rereading Meg Willits's The Wife, which I also enjoying. I like memoir. I read Deborah Levy's The Cost of Living recently, oh, yeah. which I thought was quite wonderful. And uh, Viv Albertine's book, To Be Thrown Away Unopened. I loved her first book, which had one of the best titles of all time, you know. Was it Clothes, 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 Music, 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 Boys, Boys, Boys? <laughs> yeah. But this is also, her, it's wonderful, actually. And, and, and I'm, so I enjoy those. And every now and then I like reading what I call Gumbagly, which is a term... Uh, introduced to me by our mutual friend, uh, Olivia Lichtenstein, for just general new age sort of uh, self-improvement rubbish, and I have a bit of a weakness for that. <laughs> I'm not going to divulge the titles of the books I buy, but if ever my iPad goes missing, it's going to be very embarrassing for me. Well, I have to say that I met Carl on this in the self-help sections in Waterstone, <laughs> so I can... Uh, so, you, you, so, you, so you're sympathetic well, okay. to this. But, and, and what about yoga? But I do yoga. I do do yoga, and when I on book tour by myself and travelling, I try and make myself do a bit by myself. I but can't bring myself to very, do. Very, very hard because you're getting up so early, like three thirty or something, to go on some breakfast show. It's very hard to make yourself get up earlier. And Occasionally, I, I, I do a bit of gentle stretching. <laughs> as far as it goes, it's quite important. But I'm not very good unless I have someone, you know, who actually will come to the house and make me do exercise. I'm not terribly good at it. Yeah, it's the discipline that I think that is most most difficult because if you have someone. Like, I have a busy mind. So if I, with the moment I start doing it myself, like, I, I do a lot of Pilates, but, and I you know the exercises, I could easily do them on my, you know, mm. at home, on a, on a mat. But 
my mind wanders and I think, oh, I've got to do something. I, and I can't wait. I stand up and I do that thing and I can't go it's back. It's very, to very hard. It. It's very hard. Yes, I've got a mind that is like, you know, several, several monkeys chattering, but not, you know, it's not that I'm coming up with deep and profound thoughts either. So it's, you know, yeah. But you do. So I just want to connect that to the Do you know the novels that you read? Do they inform your writing, do you think? I think so. I think that over time they do. I'm not saying that anything in the present. I mean, I... I'm, because of the age I am, when I was at, you know, at school, it was, you, know, you weren't taught things like grammar because it was all slightly hippie-ish. So, but I learned a sense of the rhythm of sentences and how they should be through reading because I read an awful lot. I read non-stop when I was a child. That's all I ever did. And I think that does teach you how to write. Because I often find that people who write recipe writers, and, you mm. know, there's recipe writing and then mm. there's the stuff behind it and then there's much, much more, you know, that... Uh, people who write about food, but they're mm. not recipe writers. I often find there's something very literal about the approach. You know, it's like a scientific approach mm. to writing. And what I, what I love about the way you write is that, and you've expressed this in, in different places, that there's something very poetic about writing about food that you could bring out and you, you, you know, you MFK Fisher and people mm. who have, over the years, have really created a body of work around food. And I feel that you're doing it without even putting yourself out there as someone who's really put some substantial text there. I I think that, for me, words are as important an ingredient as the food, really. Brilliant. So thank you for talking to me. That was fun. I've so loved it. (laughs) I have so loved it. And what a treat to, you know, sample the the food from the new book, which obviously I'm going to be cooking from non-stop. I'm really very excited about it. Thank you so much. Really, it's such a treat. My thanks to Nigella, and thank you for listening. The Simple Pleasures podcast is sponsored by my new cookbook, Ottolenghi Simple, which is available at all good bookshops. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode. Until then, from me, Yotam Ottolenghi, goodbye 